I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles uh, to the book of Romans, chapter 3. Romans, chapter 3. We are going to be looking at verses 27 down through 31 of the third chapter. In his own Bible, Martin Luther had written in the margins, beginning with Romans 3.21, this is the chief point, the very central place of the epistle and of the whole Bible. He saw the truths contained here as to really be the turning point and the argument that Paul was making regarding the condemnation of all mankind, both Jew and Greek alike, because of their sin. And here then, God turning to show us how it is that he has provided for us in the person of Jesus Christ by offering him as a propitiation against his own wrath. And as he says right before this, that makes God both just because he has called sin to an account by putting it upon his son, and then also the justifier as he gives life and salvation to all who have faith in his son Jesus. And then he picks up his argument, and that's where I want us to turn to this evening uh, with the words of verse 27. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this evening, we know that many are confused over the gospel, over even what it means to be justified by faith in Christ alone. And so we pray this evening, Father, as we meditate on your word for for this time together, that you would bless us, that you would bring clarity to us, that you indeed would help us by the power of your Spirit. For we pray it through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, sola fide. Faith alone, that's the Latin term for it. It's the great cry, one of the great cries of the Reformation. And the father of the Reformation, Martin Luther, promoted it vigorously. Sola fide. It's a phrase that would be nice to find in the Bible, if we could go to the Bible and just find it there to support this doctrine, and you find out that it is located in the Bible. It's found in one location, but not this passage. It's in James chapter 2, and when we go there, it seems to say just the exact opposite of what our battle cry means. James 2.24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. The Catholic Church did like this verse. 
They went to it and they used it to degrade Luther's teachings. And Luther was so frustrated by this verse and some other things in the book of James that he began to even question the canonicity of the book. He was so troubled by this phrase. And yet Luther's problems did not stop there. Because one of the great things that Luther did for the church in Germany was that he wanted the Bible to be in the language of his own people, so he translated it into German. And when he came to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, which reads accurately, our, our English version here is very accurate to the Greek ta- text, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law Luther added the word alone here. For we hold that one is justified by faith alone from the works of the law. And again, the Catholics said, aha, we got you because you added in that word. Well, if you know anything about Luther, he's not one to take something lying down. And in his work, his commentary on Romans 3.28, he said this. Here in Romans 3.28, I know very well that the word alone is not in the Greek or Latin text. The papists did not have to teach me this. It is a fact that these four letters, S-O-L-A, are not there. And these blockheads stare at them like cows at a new gate. Again, he wasn't one to mince words. But he goes beyond this humorous metaphor to explain that in translating the scriptures into German, the German language, he wanted to speak with the vigor that the German language has, and that's why he added it. And he says, it is the nature of our language that in speaking of two things, one that is affirmed and the other denied, we use the word alone or a line in German for one thing present and then not or no for the thing that is absent. And so he defended his use of the word alone based on his working with the German language. But to be honest, that in itself is not very satisfying. And these things can start puzzling us. We might ask ourselves, it doesn't say alone here in Romans, is this phrase sola fide actually accurate? Is this what Paul teaches? Or, and, and what are we to make of the words in the book of James, where it says we're not justified by faith alone? Well, to answer this puzzle, let's look at another puzzle that Paul puts before us right here in this text. Because I think he's pulling our chain here a little bit himself, because he uses the expression, the law of faith. The law of faith. And I think Paul is so desirous to impress the importance of the teaching of the book of Romans that he's willing to speak uh, with some irony, maybe even a, even a little bit of riddle here, in order to really communicate to his audience what he wants them to understand about the doctrine of justification by faith. His purpose in acting and in speaking in these ways is to really rid completely from his listeners any self-pride that may come in their belief in the gospel of Jesus 
Christ. So though he may be speaking ironically a bit here, the Spirit of God, will, we'll see, I think, tonight, is clearly testifying to us of the relationship between the law and faith. And so I want to make just three clarifying statements to you. And I wonder, do you affirm these yourself? Do you affirm these yourself? And the first one is this. The gospel gives you absolutely no room to boast. The gospel gives you absolutely no room whatsoever to boast. That's what the law of faith is really getting at here in verse 27. It's clear from the rhetorical question he asked leading into it. Then what becomes of our boasting? Simply, it's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. By the law of faith. Paul is using this term ironically because in the previous chapter, chapter 2, he's used the word law no less than 22 different times. And there he's using the Jewish people's trust in the law as an example to his audience. They believed, the Jews did, that their possession of the covenant, their adherence to the law, the fact that they had been circumcised was what made them righteous in their standing before God. What they had done in their minds is what counted before God. And yet what Paul does is he shows them how impossible it is to keep the law in any way that could be pleasing ultimately unto God. Again, and speaking kind of in riddle form, listen to Romans 2, verse 25. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Paul's point was that the Jews and everyone else are transgressors of the law of God. And if you claim that you're going to live by the law of God in order to achieve holiness, then you better, you better be up for that game. But no one is. No one can keep the law of God in perfection. And instead, what the law does, as he says in Romans 3, 19 and 20, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. The law, rather than causing us to boast, should shut our mouths as we see our failings before the living and holy God. Of heaven. And then he goes on to teach that if indeed mankind cannot achieve a righteousness of their own before God, then how can they ever hope to possess it? Well, that's where he then explains justification by faith. Where instead of man trusting in his own righteousness, trusts in a righteousness that God has provided for him in the person of of Jesus Christ. Righteousness can only be God-given through the offering of Christ, who at the cross turned away God's anger 
who at the cross received the penalty that our sins deserved. If only we believe in him. And that's what Paul means when he says, that's the law of faith. That's the law of faith. You see, he's using the word law here to emphasize the very fact that keeping laws cannot save you. Keeping laws cannot save you. What he's saying is the only law you really need to understand is that no law will save you. Only Jesus can save you. It's very similar here to what Jesus did to the Jews when they came up and asked him in John chapter 6 this question. What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Want to keep laws in order to get into the kingdom of heaven? Well, keep the law of faith. You want to do the work that's necessary in order to enter heaven? Then do the work of believing in Jesus. Another way of saying this is that faith is God's house rule. It's his house rule. You want to come into his house, you're going to come by faith and faith alone. And there's nothing you are to bring in in order to come into his house. I wish my wife could have been here this evening. She was planning to travel with me, but she has an illness that I hope I'm not getting a, um, uh, some chest congestion and all, so she wasn't going to come and share that love with you this evening. I hope I'm not. <clears throat> but if you come to our house, you'd very quickly pick up that I am married to a woman who loves her family. She makes our home very comfortable. It's usually filled with all kinds of good smells of the food that she's cooking and the warmth that she brings. I love coming home because I know I'll always be greeted with a welcome and a warm smile and much, much love. But she has a house rule. And if her hubby or her children violate that house rule, uh, you're going to get in a little trouble. Because when you come into our house, and you start tromping through her clean house with your shoes on, you're going to hear about it, because that's the house rule. You take your shoes off at the door. She's even trained our Bible study group uh, to do this. It's kind of humorous to me. I always try to so say, it's okay, and, but they don't, want to, they, don't want to, they don't want to offend Miriam in any, any way. She's not mean about it. It's just She's such a nice lady, I think no one wants to offend her, and so that's her that's her rule. The shoes have upon them the dirt of the world, and she doesn't want it tracking up her home. Well, so it is with the kingdom of God. You want to enter? Fine. But you cannot come in with the dirt of your self-righteousness before a holy God. The only way of entrance is to leave the dirt at the door. Trust Christ to remove it from you. And then joyfully enter into his presence where he has so many wonderful things that he wants you to taste and know and hear. If there is anything in your heart 
where you believe that there is something that you have done that has made you acceptable to God, then you would have reason to boast. For think about it. You know, why are you a Christian? If you are tonight, why are you a Christian? And so many people out there are not. Is it because you're smarter than they are? That would just be pride to think that. Is it because your life is, is better as you measure it up against someone else, and so that's why God let you in and not them? It's nothing but arrogance and thinking such things. Is it because you made better choices along the way? That's just snobbery. There's no room in the kingdom for these things. They have to be left at the door. If you want to boast, then boast the way God tells you to boast. Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might, and let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things says the Lord. And where do you see loving kindness and justice and righteousness being manifested? Except at the cross of Christ where it all came together. And we go there and we look by faith upon Christ and him alone for what he has done. And as we look at him, the Savior who loves us and gave himself for us, and did everything necessary for our life and salvation, how can we say, how dare we say, that I bring something to this table? It's to you, and to you alone, O oh Lord, I come. Take away all my sin, all of it, my self-righteousness, my wickedness, all of it, O oh God. Remove it from me. You did not have a righteousness of your own. But there is a Lord who loved you so greatly that he took it upon himself to provide it for you. Receive it by faith. By faith alone. And Paul further emphasizes this, and this is the second clarifying statement I would make. Understand that justification occurs with absolutely no works of your own. There's no boasting that we can bring, and there's absolutely no works that we can bring. Now let's go back and look at that phrase that uh, Luther worked with a bit here in verse 28. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Men don't like this rule. They don't like this law of faith. They want to trust other things for their salvation. But Paul is insistent here. He is saying, as he returns to the use of this word law, as it's commonly used in Romans, that insisting that only by God justifying someone can they be saved. He says there, we, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So if there are no works of the law, 
then it was right and proper, in a sense, for Luther to add that word alone, because there are no works accompanying that faith in being justified before God. And that's why he goes on in verses 29 and 30 to make sure that we realize this includes everyone that's lived, everyone in the world. It's not just the Jews. He's the God also of the Gentiles. And so if you're going to be justified, as he says there, it's got to come by faith, whether you're circumcised or whether you are uncircumcised. You know, this teaching is being lost It's been lost in different times in history. And I think it's being lost again in our own day, although we still see so many good men preaching it. But our culture and so many parts of Christendom have still lost it. And I want to give a few examples of how people are trusting in other things or or adding to their faith in other ways rather than just trusting in Christ alone. People put faith not only just in Christ, but in their subjective feelings. Their subjective feelings. People today are substituting religious experience for a knowledgeable faith in Christ. Too many people in our day are going to places of worship. And they're really wanting a sensory experience rather than learning about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. They want their emotions charged up so they can go out through another week, but they're not really coming into contact with the gospel. Other times we see people thinking that if they just attend a crusade or say a sinner's prayer or walk down the aisle, that that experience of theirs is what is justifying them rather than putting their hope and their trust in Jesus. Too often we see that where hearts have not been truly rent in repentance and a true confession of belief in Jesus Christ, what follows those emotional experiences is no change in lifestyle. Faith in Christ will bring forth change. So we can put faith in subjective feelings. Others, I would say, are putting faith in biblical immorality. Uh, I'm sorry, morality. (laughs) Putting faith in biblical morality. There are attractive yet dangerous teachings that are spreading through Reformed denominations. And they come in different forms, but they all have a basic root to them. They react against the modern easy beliefism that they see that I've just described to you. And they want to toughen and tighten things up a little bit, and so they begin to emphasize certain aspects of the Christian faith. They want to emphasize faithfulness and holiness to God. And so they'll speak in some quarters about being justified by faithfulness rather than by faith. In other quarters, they will say, yeah, they believe in Christ, but when you get around them, it seems like they're a lot more concerned about the clothes that you're wearing before God, or how you're teaching your children what form or method of child training that you're using, and the list goes on and on. And we begin to make, as important as it seems, 
to the people in those congregations these other side issues, maybe applications of Christianity, rather than the core gospel itself. And it can become very dangerous. One prominent Reformed teacher, as he was trying to defend one of these types of teachings, I literally heard him say this. He said that anyone who believes that justification by faith alone is one of the primary teachings of the book of Romans is a nutcase. And you've got to start wondering where the nuts really are. But I'll move on. Another quarter in which we see this lack of trust and salvation by faith alone is by putting faith in the power of the human will. Commonly taught is that with respect to salvation, man's will is supreme. And many within Christendom believe and teach that they ultimately choose the gospel. Choose whether they'll be justified by faith or not. But the Reformed faith has always seen not only salvation as a gift, but the faith itself having been given to us by God. Listen to what Spurgeon says about this exaltation of man's will. What a vain pretense it is to profess to honor God by a doctrine that makes salvation depend on the will of man. If it were true, you might pray to God, We thank thee, O Lord, for what thou hast done. Thou hast given us so many good things, and we offer thee thy praise, which is justly due to thy name. But we think we deserve more, for the deciding point was an hour free will. Spurgeon goes on to say, the babblings about man's free agency are neither more nor less than lies, right contrary to the truth of Christ and to the teachings of the Holy Spirit. Scriptures teach that we are dead and sin. And without the power of God, raising us up and granting us faith to trust in his son, we would have no life in ourselves. These false teachings deny faith alone in Christ because we are trying to add to the gospel. We are trying to get our works to be received by God somehow, some way, rather than, again, just trusting in him alone. James Boyce illustrates the futility of all this by getting you to imagine that there was a, a soldier in the Vietnam War who was taken prisoner. And he's in prison camp with some other men. And as part of uh, the Red Cross helping out uh, these prisoners, they send over to them all kinds of supplies, but to help them to pass through the boredom of the time, let's say they send them a Monopoly game. And after a while, the men get kind of tired of playing Monopoly. Who wouldn't? But uh, they find that the money in the Monopoly board has some use. They can use it to barter for food and cigarettes with one another. And so this Monopoly money actually in that little prison setting becomes a means of buying and selling food and cigarettes and things to one another. Let's say the war is over. The man goes home. And he's pretty excited the next day to take that Monopoly money that's still in his pocket and go deposit it down a 
at the local bank. And so he comes and pulls it out and hands it to the teller, all the bright yellows and greens and blues. And he says, I have $500,682. I can't wait to put it in your bank. Of course, the teller's going to think he's crazy. When we come in our sinful human economy before a holy and righteous God and try to offer things before, to him of our own doing, our own making, and particularly when we try to unite those things with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's like we're out of our minds. We, we don't understand that we've been, we've been released <laughs> and we're free. You cannot bring any work, friend, and that's good news. That's good news. You don't have to bring any work to God. Just trust in what Christ has done for you. One final statement to hopefully clarify all of this. You... I'll have to explain this one, but you are absolutely united with other true Old Testament believers in Christ. You are absolutely united with other Old Testament believers in Jesus Christ. Look at the last verse, verse 31. He says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? I mean, if you're saying... You come to Christ by faith alone, not by any kind of work of the law. Then are you just saying the law is worthless, not of no use, of no import anymore? And he says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We uphold the law. Clearly, he's not saying anything in contradiction to what we've just stated, that somehow now the laws enter into our justification. He's not saying that when he, mean, when he says we uphold the law. Some would interpret this to mean that when he says we uphold the law, he's talking about our sanctification, that after we're justified, we are going to be upholders of the law by obeying the law. And though that's certainly true, and an argument that's developed later in the book of Romans, I don't think that's exactly what he's saying here. Because look at chapter 4, how he goes on to explain this. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That quote is from the book of Genesis, chapter 15. It's used three times in the New Testament, this being one of them. And what Paul is basically saying here, we uphold this law because we believe just like those in the law used to believe. Even Abraham was justified by faith. The doctrine of justification by faith establishes the law in the sense that it shows that even in the Old Testament this doctrine was taught. This is not a new gospel. This is the same gospel that God has been declaring from the beginning. Only by my shed blood can you be saved. 
Only through believing in what I will provide for you can you be forgiven. Only in trusting in Christ and in him alone can you have life. And so that's what I mean when I say you can be absolutely sure that you are not united with Old Testament believers who trusted in the Christ that was to come, even as we trust in the one who has come. And so tonight I ask you, is that your trust? Have you put away trust in experiences? Trust in having grown up in the church. A lot of young people struggle with this. I've grown up in the church. I've been here all my life. And that makes me okay. We trust in how good we appear to others. We can trust in anything, it seems, at all. But the question really is for you tonight. Is are you justified by faith alone in Christ? Is sola fide not only the battle cry from hundreds of years ago, but it is your battle cry? There's no way, you say, I would have standing before God at all unless Christ had saved me and redeemed me. And the good news is that he's still doing that. He is still saving people from their sins. Every generation, new ones are coming to him, trusting in him. And I hope not a one of you would leave here this evening without that being true of your life. I have been saved by Christ through faith in him alone. Just call out to him right now in your heart of hearts with sincerity. And he'll save you. He'll take your sons away from you. He will adopt you as one of his own. And he will grant life to you, everlasting life to you. And he will show you his and the Father's love. If only you trust in him. Luther said, when I discovered that, meaning this doctrine of sola fide, when I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Spirit and the doors of paradise swung open. And I walk through. That's the house rule. The law of faith. The doors open up when you come to Christ in faith. Let's pray.